Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. What does it look like to have adult friendships? And why are they so important? I remember what it was like to have friends as a kid, and I also remember how painful it could be to have friends as a kid when they didn't work out or people said they didn't like you anymore. Well, as a grown-up, making friends can also be hard, and it can be beautiful, and it can be easy. I think that because the demands of work have ballooned so much and the demands of family take up so much of our time, it's really challenging to carve out space to see friends and develop friendships. So how do we make friends and what does it feel like when you find a new friend or somebody that you know that you really want to become friends with? Carrie Fortin is joining us back on the show today for the Friendship Series. And this whole month, we are having a series of conversations together talking about our parenting journeys and our business journeys and today, our friendship journey. Today, we dive into what it's like to make friends, especially if you meet somebody and you're like, well, I would really like to be friends with them. How do you do it? So we each share our stories about what approaches we take. And we also ask some tougher questions like, what does it look like to be a good friend? And what happens when it doesn't work? And at the end, we talk about friendships ending and the breakups that can happen and the sadness that results. We dive into all of this. Can't wait to share it with you. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. If you live in the United States, you are entitled to a free breast pump with your insurance. But navigating the insurance can be such a pain and so much paperwork and so many logistics and so many hoops to jump. Aeroflow Breast Pumps, the company that is sponsoring this episode, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting a breast pump a lot easier for brand new mamas, second time mamas, and anybody that needs to get a breast pump. They also have a ton of resources about how to manage breastfeeding and pumping and navigating the transition back to work, including a step-by-step -step guide for how to make an awesome pump room. Head over to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, and they will quickly and easily help you qualify for your free breast pump. I just used them for my second kiddo, and it took it really took only a couple of minutes to go on, enter my information, and then they said, yep. I got an email right away. They said, yep, you get a new one. Go pick one out. I picked one out and they said, great, we'll send it to you once your insurance window is here. And they just took care of everything. So I didn't have to have a calendar alert and a reminder and all of these extra steps. So it was super useful and a relief. There is certainly enough to do when you're prepping for a new baby and having somebody like Aeroflow on your team is really helpful. The link is in the show notes and it's also on our website. Hey, everyone. Today is a really special episode because I get to bring one of my closest adult friends onto the podcast. You've probably heard her on a couple different episodes, but Carrie is coming back and we're doing a wonderful series together, exploring a lot of different topics around Startup Pregnant. So today I wanted to just start a conversation about what it looks like to make friends as a grown-up and how that changes over time and really wander into it. Carrie and I started a conversation a number of years ago, years, months, weeks, whatever, time, uh, <laughs> a little while back and talked about like how important making friends is and what it feels like when you make that first adult female friendship. So I'm bringing her on the show today to have a chat. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. I'm always, I'm happy to be back. I'm always happy to talk with you in any form. So I'm pretty pumped about this. Me too. I was thinking that we should probably record some of our just like friend conversations and share those because I always get on the phone with you and I have such good chats. And I'm like, I need to put these out in public somewhere. Well, I'm thrilled. And I also... What I love about this conversation that we're about to have is that it is a version of something that we've been talking about and mulling over and it feels so important in both of our lives. So I, I feel like, I hope like it's really important to the other really brilliant women who are listening to this. 
So Carrie, I want to start and ask you, this is like a really broad question, but we'll start here and dive in. What has it been like for you in your 20s and 30s in terms of making friends as an adult? Has it always been something that you've known how to do or how have you approached it? That's such a good question. I think in my 20s, you know, I was living in San Francisco and I had a bunch of friends from college. So I think I felt like good and full and happy and content. And so I wasn't necessarily seeking out friendships. And yet in that time, I made some of my very best adult friendships, which I think is just, I don't know, a stroke of great luck. You know, the friend that we have in common, Sarah, I met her and adored her, Susanna Scully. And then she introduced us. And I think I was just really fortunate to be in close proximity to a bunch of people with whom I had a lot in common, which, you know, I'm not totally sure about that. And then in my 30s, I moved to a brand new place where I really didn't know people to Boise, Idaho. And I wasn't sure if I was going to have as many people who, you know, I had some things in common with as I had earlier. And so I actually was a lot more intentional about it. It was, I don't want to say it was work in the sense that like, I wasn't you know, checking off to-do lists, but I did it on purpose. So it's really changed for me over time. And I don't know if that's an age thing or a geographic thing or what it is. But to flip that back around on you, I'm curious about, oh, well, you go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, what was that like to move to a brand new area? Like you picked up, I know you lived in San Francisco for a long time, the San Francisco Bay Area, and then you moved your family to Boise, Idaho. How did that change and what's that been like? Yeah. I mean, it was a huge change. And I think something I've done a lot in my life is like make big choices and then deal with them later, which I think is good because it's the only way I've like taken risks is to not dwell too much and like how hard it might be. And I think in a lot of ways I underestimated how challenging it could be to just be in a new place. You know, my husband and I were both working from home. So we didn't have a lot of just like running into people naturally. And we weren't in such an urban environment where we were like bumping into the same neighbors and folks all the time. And so what I ended up learning, I heard Cam, my partner, say this to a friend and I realized is what the advice that he sort of gave me over time was twofold. The first was to invest in the things you love about a new place. So whether that's like an activity or a group or some type of infrastructure to like really dig into that and enjoy that because it not only makes you appreciate the place more, but it also makes this thing you like take up more space in your life. And then his other piece of advice, which is so straightforward and I think the most important, which was to follow up. So like if I happen to bump into someone at a coffee shop or I happen to, you know, be set up on a friend date by someone somewhere else, like to just go ahead and like send the email, send the text right back and say, Hey, you know, I'm so glad we ran into each other. You said that you were into whatever. And I saw that this is happening next week. And like, would you want to come with me? And so in that way, it's kind of more like dating or something where you just, you know, I just had to really decide I was going to put myself out there. And if I lucked into meeting someone who I thought could be a friend to just put the work in to making that happen. Oh, I love that. Like that in second piece about intentionality. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes for me, there have been periods of my life and I see this in other people where you let circumstances guide who your connections are. And so there's a lot of like, oh, these are the people I went to college with, or these are the people I work with. And then we make those our community centers because it's easier because we're all pressed for time. It's convenient. It's already there. But then if something big happens, like you don't have that job anymore, and you're only hanging out with those work colleagues, or you move, the lack of diversity of community can really just like it wrenches a bigger hole in your heart because you're like, oh, now I don't have my job and I don't have friends. This really sucks. Or it's more like acquaintances or colleagues. You're like, well, yeah, I hang out with them. You know, I go to the bar every Friday night, but I don't know if I would tell them like my fertility struggles or I don't know if I have close people to talk to. That second bit about intentionality is so important to me. And I have joked with people, we can maybe talk about this a little bit. I've joked with people, I'm like, I'm going to go aggressively make friends now. 
I like get a plan and I go out and I'm like, I'm gonna make a lot of new friends. Go. And a friend of mine was like, Sarah, that's not something a lot of people do. <laughs> so anyways, I'll leave that there for now. Well, no, but that's so good. So what does aggressively making friends look like? I love this because you are both one of the least aggressive people I know. And I just think putting those two things together, like aggressively make friends, <laughs> and, right? What yes. it is, is like, it's the funneling of the energy. Like you're entering your third trimester, like energy is important. And so I think you're like, yeah, maybe making friends would be neat. Who knows what that would possibly look like. So what is aggressively making friends look like for you? <laughs> so I'm like a balance of introverted and extroverted. And I just love the seasons, seasonality, because I think they provide a lot of rhythm and clarity for like how my life unfolds. And I notice that I have seasons of like, I'm a new puppy out in a park and I want to smell everyone. <laughs> I'm just like, hi, I want, hi, 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 hi. Like, I'm just like so eager to meet people. And then there are other times where I'm like that old, like, dog sitting in the window that's like one eyebrow up, like, don't come close to me unless you have a really good bone. Like, like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I just feel it. Like, I know there are times when I really want to protect my space. I'm not interested in the energy it takes to meet a lot of new people, or I've just, I've got a big intellectual challenge, or I'm really devoted to my family. There's just these rhythms. But there are other times when like, And it's usually like time to spring. A lot of times it's time to spring in summer. But that I want to be outside. I want to be meeting people. Like if I had to create a process for it, my process is when I start to feel that more extroverted side of myself, that side that wants to connect, bubble up, I try to cast a really big net and go out to a lot of events, just like you were saying, things I enjoy. Like, I want to go invest in a local yoga studio. I'm going to take some cooking classes. I'm going to join a swim team. I want to go to the park a lot. You know, I'm going to be a regular at the local coffee shop. And I just cast a really wide net. But then after that, there's that like, I think there's this space where you meet somebody that you kind of think you might like a lot, but you don't know what to do. You're like, oh, I just had a like a rather pleasant conversation in line at the coffee shop. And I would love to hang out with this person. What do I do at that moment? That's when I try to actually take action. It's so like dating. It's so nerve wracking. Because you're like, Oh, what if I'm rejected? I don't want to Well, what do I do? I think I've just gotten good over time at putting myself out there. And we'll be in line and I'll say, Oh, this is so awesome. We should have coffee together one day. And just make sure to close the loop. Like, I don't like leaving and wondering, oh, should I have asked her to coffee? Maybe I'll run into her. Should I go to the coffee shop again? Like, what? Mm-hmm. I just try to, like, just put the bid out there because 90% of the time they're receptive to it. They're like, oh, great. And then after that, like, casting of the net, if you will, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm excited. I'm going to be out in the park all the time. Hi, hi, hi. Like, I'm really <laughs> excited. <laughs> and then I make a lot of, bids or leads, just like first queries, I just don't expect them all to work out. And that's because the person on the other end might be in their like closed off period, or they might be full, or they might be traveling or whatever it is. If I end up reaching out to 12 people, there may be two that we go to coffee, we have a really good conversation, or we end up inviting them over for dinner, maybe say four, right? And then of those four, two of them may continue. Like you might meet somebody and have two conversations with them and be like, oh, like I appreciate this person. They're interesting. I'm glad I know them in my network. Like I get to wave to them around the neighborhood. But will I invite them into my weekly Friday dinner circle? No, we probably don't have enough in common. And that's okay. I don't have to see you every week to appreciate that you're a human being that lives in the same environment that I do. Yeah. Well, okay. So what I'm so curious about is because I've started to try to give this a little bit more thought myself, like how I would verbalize or articulate what this feeling is. But one thing you said was, you know, if you feel like it's a match, then you make the offering and you attempt to close the loop. Like what, for you, what does it mean to feel like a new person is like potentially a match? Hmm. Oh, this is a good question. If people are multifaceted, which is a word I love because facets are actually like, if you think of a diamond, it's like an edge of a diamond. There can be lots of them. You can have millions of different cuts around the surface of something hard and then have all these facets. I try to see if there's many fits. So 
the people who end up being really long term in my life, we end up having a lot of overlaps. Like on first meeting, we both like cooking. And then we find out that we both have kids. And then we find out that we both enjoy writing. And the more I like find the number of layers and levels of commonality, I think the easier it is to have a friendship that transcends a single topic. That doesn't mean that I don't have, like I have one really good business guy friend who we talk geeky stuff once a quarter. We just have a quarterly standing date and he tells me all about growing this massive company and we geek out about systems and it satisfies a huge part of my brain. And I don't really stray into pregnancy all that much in talking with him. And that's okay. Those are also fulfilling. But I think there's that like just having a lot of overlap in common can be really helpful. But I don't know. Also, what happens when there's just that spark when you like someone? Do you ever have that when you're like, I have a friend crush on you? (laughs) Yes, totally. When I was thinking about this question to ask you, I was trying to think about for myself, you know, because I've made some friends pretty recently, and I think some good friends. I was thinking about one, and I think this multifaceted part is exactly it, you know, but then it's like the spark is kind of like on the date where it's like, I don't know, but I'm just attracted to you or I don't know, but we just like vibe. And I think for me, lots of times that's a sense of humor. Like for Mm. me, I get a spark when I can laugh with someone, when someone says something like a little offbeat or a little dry and it's like just my pace, then I'm like, oh, we really get each other. (laughs) So I was thinking I, you know, I made a friend not too long after we moved here, we were on a daycare tour. And so this is amazing because I see this woman, she's about as pregnant as I am. We're on a daycare tour. So she's presumably going to be going back to work and is working and found out that they recently moved from California, did whatever. And then she made this just hysterical observation slash question slash joke, like partway through the tour. And it was enough for me at the end to be like, can I get your number? Like, (laughs) we hang out, you are like, you know, and that was it for me where I was like, okay, yeah, we have all these things in common. A lot of boxes are being checked. You know, I was trying to see if my kid was going to go to the daycare. I wasn't trying to make a friend. Yeah. And then it was a joke she told her. I was like, yep, that's my kind of person right there. Oh, that's too funny. You know, I think that's something I inadvertently do. I was at the playground the other day and there were some moms that have a kid a little younger than my kid and we were chatting and I really like them. Like they have lots of friend potential, right? (laughs) but we've only (laughs) seen each other a few times. But one of the things I do, like I wouldn't have known I do it on purpose until you're saying this right now, but I enjoy making slightly off color jokes or... This is so funny to be talking about on a podcast. I talk about poop all the time. You know I do. We talked about it when we started. But like, I'll talk about poop enough in the thing. But I think I talk about poop because it's actually a really good filtering mechanism. If I bring it up and you're grossed out or you think I'm totally out of line or it's like a really inappropriate thing, it's kind of a stopgap for me where I'm like, eh, we're not going to go that deep. Like, I'm interested in all things, like all the deep stuff, all the gross stuff, all the weird stuff all the cool stuff. And so I think it's one of my, like, I don't want to say friend tests, (laughs) but it is one of those, like, can you go here with me? Can you like, let's banter over there. But that's it. And it's funny because I'm like, I'm now I'm trying to think, I'm like, what's my poop joke? And I don't know (laughs) what it is exactly. I will say, and, and we don't have to like go deep into this, but you know, we moved here right before the election in 2016. And I had sort of like most people expected a different outcome. And so I had this experience of waking up and being like, oh, dang, I am in a red state in a really different landscape than I thought I would be in. And so for me, I think, you know, I would sort of poke out there and, you know, I hung my gay pride flag in my front door and I was just like, hey, if you see this and that's not your vibe, then like, that's cool. You're probably not my person. And that actually became a big thing for me. It was, I was like, it's big and it's central. And I wasn't thinking it was going to have to be. And then I realized how important it was to me in this exact scenario. And so yeah, it's kind of my poop joke. It's my. (laughs) (laughs) But so something that this also brings up for me is like, really sharing yourself, honestly, not trying to be somebody other than you are or trying to mold yourself into Betty Cooper, you know, or Martha Stewart, like, we're not all trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to be proper and have the perfect house and the perfect dish and to say the most gracious things. Although like generosity and kindness are huge for me. I think those are really important qualities. 
I'm not trying to like play a role. And the more I can be who I am right away, right? Like, hey, you know, gay rights, LGBTQ rights are so important to me, important enough to me in this conversation that it's a non-negotiable. Like I'm going to put a flag up on my front door and tell you this is what I believe in. And there are a lot of people for whom whatever it is, it's the church you go to or the way that you think about certain things, animal rights. Sometimes those are the things that you lead with and they attract other people to you as much as carve out the people you say. We can meet for a debate along another context and we can negotiate a friendship amongst this, but it might be more of a repellent. Yeah. You know, that is such a great thing. I mean, it's literally, I talk a lot in my family. My joke is always like, let your flag fly, like whatever Mm. it is that you're about and you stand for. And sometimes it's in a funny context, you know, you're not trying to be liked by everyone. You're just owning who you are. And I think that that's it. I literally put up a flag and said, this is what matters. I mean, and you know, literally a flag. This is honestly a flag and here it is. And it is not, you know, like pride week or month or whatever. And for me too, it's also a banner under which bigger, much bigger things exist, you know, other values. But for me, I just thought, yeah, this is the flag and I'm flying it. And I think that people with whom I share some of those really, really, really important values, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for in this moment. It reminds me, yesterday I was walking. It's boiling hot in New York City right now as we're recording. And I was walking down Central Park West on the other side of Central Park. And there's a big church overlooking the park. And you know how churches have those billboards and signs? And like one of them, they're always those letter tiles that you can put up and they like put the new letters in. And one of them had all the sermons. You know, it said, here's all the times that you can come join us. I think churches are so beautiful, by the way. And then the other one, the entire board had three words on it. And it just said, Black Lives Matter. And I stopped and I was like, I had such a huge amount of love. I just said, I love you. I love what you stand for. I love that you're supporting this. There's so much richness and complication. And it's never quite like we're making it simple by saying like, oh, here's a thing and here's a thing and let's divide everyone up. And But then there's right. also so many overlaps and layers. And like, I especially think those signs are helpful when you might be in a place when someone might expect something else of you. Like, yeah. oh, it's a church. I expect them to be X, Y, and Z. Or like, I have a story in my head about what church is and what that means. You know, whatever that is for you, everyone can have a different one. And then to see something that pattern disrupts a little or pattern confirms, right? Like everybody's experience is different, can be so helpful to say like, oh, okay. Like, I like what you're doing here. Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting because you had said before, like this idea of like a friend test, which of course it's not like, that's not the intention, but it is interesting. I guess it brings up for me to this other idea where if it's someone with whom I can sort of quickly get into something meaningful, whether or not it's like bizarre anecdotal, or if I were to like cross paths with you and we were both to kind of smile at the Black Lives Matter, you know, banner and what that would make me think of you and how we could maybe like dig right into something important. That for me is almost always when I know like, wow, there's something good here. If we can skip through like the weather and the heat and how pregnant are you and what does this all mean? And we can just go right into this piece because we both noticed it and it matters to both of us man, that's someone that I will, (laughs) that is a friend I will hunt down and force to be someone. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Sarah, too, what I was thinking about, you've relocated across the country and then even within your city moved a good ways. And I've relocated and I think about even just the two of us, we became much better friends after we separated geographically. I wonder what that looks like for you, sort of distance friendships, like if that's something that you seek out or is growing for you or what that looks like. You know, these are some of my favorite friendships, actually. Like, I think local friendships are amazing and I need them in my life. I need to see real humans on a almost daily basis, maybe daily, in order to just like have that 
spirit of being alive and the rhythm of and patterning of life. But I also note really quickly the introvert yeah. in you. I need to see real humans almost daily. Like I just <laughs> that's your standard. Okay, sorry. Continue. So, it's so funny because I do so much talking and writing, and people are always like, "Oh, you're such an extrovert," and I'm like, "You realize I sit behind a microphone, write, and swim <laughs> by myself." In my home for much of my day, it's like, no, please don't come over. Like people, <laughs> people are like, hey, you want to meet in person? And I'm like, let's not. How about a phone call? <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, for me, it's my sweet spot. It's like I love phone calls because I usually go out walking in the forest by our house. And it's such such a soul building thing for me, but also gives me the freedom to spend my six hours by myself every day. My husband's also introverted. We both have very good extrovert characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you meet us, it's when we're being extroverts, so people assume. I try to, especially with people that I feel like a soul calling to, like a spiritual connection, and you're one of those people, Carrie, like we have gone so deep to talk about some of the most heartbreaking things in our lives and some of the hardest things. I try to set up a monthly rhythm where I just check in. And if we can standardize it, like if we can say, hey, and I have one of these with Susanna, our mutual friend, if I can standardize it and say, hey, you know, first Tuesday of the month at three o'clock, let's get on a chat for an hour. That just has been incredibly life changing for me. Just I have a monthly call with some of my good friends. Like with Susanna, I met her when she was pregnant with her second kid. I mean, I think it's been six to eight years. I don't know how it's been a while now. And we have just always stayed in touch. And I have probably seen her in person 10 to 15 times. And she's one of my best friends. Yeah. So I think there's a lot you can do. I love too what you just said about like standardizing and setting up the monthly check-in. Because I think with friendships, like romantic relationships, you know, there are these moments where it's like, we have the spark, it's all romantic, and it's great. And then sometimes it's it's like building in the date night. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is emotional. Our connection is real. I really, really like you. And here's the logistical piece that we need to like keep this going. And so I'm going to like send you a calendar invite and please like accept or, you know, I just think blending those two things can feel unnatural. And it's one of the things that I've learned and appreciated most, especially since moving is that, I don't know, it's some of the most important tools are those really practical ones for keeping the emotional connection alive. Right. And in person, it might look like there may be some sort of facilitation that happens externally, which is, hey, we both go to work in the morning and we both go to the same coffee shop. So I see you once or twice a week, right? Like right. The structure is there. You just didn't necessarily put it into place. It's the work schedules and the lifestyle that put it into place. But without that, when you're far away, it is important to just take that extra small step of, it's basically, I like you. I want to stay in touch. And then if that makes you feel really nervous, like you can't commit for that long, one thing I've done, had a lot of success with is doing it for six months. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm moving away. Let's chat for six months and just do six calls. Let's do yeah. one a month because I'd love to get to like hear how your life is going and stay in touch a little while longer. And I know we'll stay in touch over the years, maybe less formally. But if you want to do a couple of phone calls, and then if you're both feeling it, you'll know also there are people I've stayed in touch with where... It's like, hey, how's it going? Good. You? (laughs) Like, it's just, you're in different spheres. You're moving in different energies or orbits. And that's okay. Like, it's okay not to have everyone in your life at all times also. Right. I don't know. Just a part of it is coming up for me too about like these initiating either of like the structure or of making a friend is that something that I started to embrace in my 30s. I think it's related to like self confidence, I hope. I'm not great at remembering names, but I'm great at remembering faces and anecdotes and stories. And, you know, so I might not know your name, but I'll be like, oh my God, you moved here from Atlanta when you were eight months pregnant and your husband was in the military. And like, how did moving into your house go? And like, how was having your kid? And they're like, wait, who are you? Um, (laughs) And I think that I've just tried to kind of swallow my pride. And I actually don't even view it in that way anymore because I've done it so much. And just to be the person be like, yeah, we met before. I remember when this happened or, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, how is X going? And I found that even if the other person 
I don't know. It's like letting someone know that you notice them and you remember them and you care about them. And some people will be off put by it. And, you know, maybe that's not a great fit. And other people will be like, wow, thank you. Like, that's so thoughtful you remembered or, you know, or vice versa. I think that's been a big thing for me, especially with making new friends. If it is one of those where you like happen into someone at the coffee shop and maybe you don't have that huge spark, but you've bumped into them enough just to say like, hey, I see you. I'm interested in you. Yeah, that's been a big opening for me. So I want to just like riff on this for a second, because I think that phrase I'm thinking about you is Mm -hmm. one of the kindest things we can do for other human beings. And I will admit that it occupies a good chunk of my brain space and my energy. And I've talked to my husband, my partner about this. Like I am, I hate the word networker, but I am the networker and the connector. Like being a connector is one of my strengths. I love meeting people. I love getting to know them. Like I host a podcast for a reason. I get to interview people every week. It's awesome. And he tells me regularly, like, you bring so much to my life because you bring so many interesting people into it. Like you consistently get to know new interesting people and you take care of them. And for me, that like I'm thinking about you. One of the things I try to do every week is send postcards and letters and emails and texts. And I do it proactively. I don't do it with a need. Like I don't do it with a, I have to get that document from Carrie. Let me text her. Does she have that document? And this has been habit building. I don't think it was something I intuitively would have said I knew how to do at age 23. But as I realized more and more how important it was, I started setting aside time to do it. And it's like, hey, text five friends. And you say, hey, friend, like I actually did it about an hour before I got on the phone with you. Just send a voice message to my friend Val. And I said, hey, here's my update. It looks like we're updating each other every couple of weeks. But I wanted to let you know that thing that we talked about. Here's what's happening. And also, can you tell me how your life is going? I've been thinking about you. They're called touches. Like I interviewed Maura Aaron's Mealy on this show about it. But it's like Mm -hmm. reaching out and touching somebody in virtual space, like being the proactive one to send a message. I send emails. Like one of the things that I do is... I have several friends that are podcast hosts, so I'm always thinking of new guests. And I'll reach out and I'll say, oh, hey, friend, like you'd be a great guest on this show. People are beyond thankful that you have taken the time to think about them and help them with no agenda. I wouldn't recommend you if I didn't think you were a great guest. People email me and say, hey, can you recommend me for this? And I'm like, I can't because you're not going to be a good guest. <laughs> but like, but if you come to my mind and I'm walking through the forest, I'm like, oh, you two would have an awesome conversation. I have to introduce you. And then I have right on top of my desk, they're, you know, 20 inches away from me right now. I have a stack of postcards, a stack of postcard stamps. And then I have a file with all my addresses of people. I just try to send two or three a week because snail mail is awesome. Right? Like if you get a postcard from somebody, I don't know. I love it. So that little bit of thinking about people and your Friday night, if you're not sure what to do, it's like, Go home, have a glass of wine, text 10 people. Not, what are you up to? But like, <laughs> just right. how are you doing? And I've been thinking about you. I don't know. It makes me so happy to do it. That's where the uh, selfishness comes in. Like, I feel good doing it, which is why I do it. It's amazing. And I think while well, having been on the receiving end of postcards, et cetera, from you and knowing how like special it feels to open up my mailbox and not just have like, I don't know, Trader <laughs> Joe's newsletter. statement. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But I also think what I learned from you, because you sent me, and I'm thinking of this too, because I finally finished it, like 10 boxes of Lara bars after oh, yeah. I had I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, after I had my baby and you're like, hey, I don't know if this will happen for you. But when I was nursing, I was so hungry all the time and you don't have hands and it's hard. And so here it is. And so it's so funny because like I would open up and grab one like every day for months and think of you every single time. And what I realized was like in that exact place, there was a part of me that was like, I need to repay Sarah. I need to repay Sarah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to receive this from Sarah and like maybe pass it forward or maybe do something like this. Like I learned from you. And I feel like since a part of, you know, this is like being a mom and being pregnant, what I have learned is I've got a couple of friends who had kids not long after me. And I felt like I was in the space to be like, hey, I remember exactly what I needed at this time. And so here it is for you. Like you owe me nothing. Don't write a thank you note. Don't bother. I'm thinking of you and here's what I needed. And so Mm -hmm. I want to provide it for you. Like that to me was one of the 
kindest things someone has done for me. And like you said, it makes me feel so good to do it for someone else because I remember how good it felt. And it's like, yeah, it's selfish. I'm like, I feel great here. Here's these nursing bras that like changed my life. I want you to wear one, please like enjoy. So I don't know. That's been something that's been nice for me in this new phase of early motherhood. I don't feel like an expert in anything about that, but I remember what those first months were like and what was hard and what I needed. And I'm trying to provide that for some of my friends. I have to admit, I completely forgot that I did that. Um, <laughs> well, but... I did it because I <laughs> like 400 bars. It's <laughs> just so many. So this is the other thing. Like we live in, at least, you know, in the local United States, Amazon Prime era, we live in an age of relative ease where it's actually, there's very little friction for doing nice things for other people. And two of my favorite and people on the podcast, you may laugh because I've done this to so many people that you may be like, oh, I got that. But Sending Food and one of my favorite books, I'm interviewing her on the podcast. I think at the time this airs, that one will air, but who knows, you know, go search, you'll figure it out. Asha Dornfest writes a book called Parent Hacks. And it's this little like five inch by seven inch. It's like a smaller book book of all of these amazing tips for basically don't buy stuff, use what you already have. Here are all the hacks you can do to get through figuring out a newborn and a toddler. And it's like a picture book, which is what you need when you're a brand new parent. Like words are too hard. <laughs> you just need like a picture and be like, oh, I get it. I yep, that I'll do that. And it's one of my favorite books. And it's $5.99 on Amazon with free shipping. It's cheaper mm -hmm. than going to coffee with a friend. When I find out a friend is having a new kid, I immediately send them one of these books and I say, hey, I love this book. It really helped me in my parenting journey. Best of luck. Send me a note if you have any questions. Happy to support you. And if you hate the book, just you know, throw it away or pass it along. No worries on my end. But it's just such an easy, easy thing to do. And then sending food too, like Lara bars, as long as you don't have a nut allergy. I'm like, hey, here's 40 pieces of food if you're breastfeeding or even if you're not, if you're recovering, you're going to be starving. Yeah, it's so thoughtful. And I do think it's the benefit is like, I learned these tricks from you. And now I'm using them with friends and like just things too, like a friend who just had a baby and I wrote her and I was like, Hey, do you read like on a tablet or on your phone? Or do you read in hard copy still? And not even like, because I want to send you a book. And I want to just like asking these little questions. And I think, I don't know, not only is it usually an interesting conversation when people explain how they read and why, but then it gives me this little piece of knowledge to share you're right. I mean, Amazon Prime, like these things that don't require a ton of effort, but still imply exactly that, that someone was thinking of you. I don't know. It's nice. It feels special to be on the receiving end and it feels good to be on the giving end. And I will edit to say that I think now going forward, when I send people Lara bars, <laughs> I'm also going to include a note that says, <laughs> don't send a thank you note. Just pay it forward to the next woman when you have a chance. Like, I'll make it explicitly clear that that's what it's for. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I've started doing? And I think that Lauren Smith Brody said this in the fifth trimester. I'm not totally sure, but it was like, what can you do for a friend who's having a baby? And it's like, anytime you give a gift or whatever, say like, do not send a thank you note. I understand. I love you. Like, yeah. just that like small act of like, don't worry, you owe me nothing in return. You can send me a text saying like received with a photo and like a thumbs up or whatever, and that, <laughs> you know, just to feel good. But that I think is a really generous thing is to say like, you don't owe me anything, mm. pay it forward or just enjoy. One last thing I want to talk about, and I think this might actually turn into a whole separate episode. We're talking a lot about like making friends. And that was why I wanted to get on the phone with you and record. How do you make friends as an adult? But there's also that aspect of friendships ending and moving on and separating. And I think that's a really tricky one for people and it can be really sticky and hard. And to me, you know, the, the biggest metaphor is birth, right? Like you invite life, you also invite death. All of these things are part and parcel with the process. I never think that relationships are forever. I think that they all have natural rhythms and ebbs and flows. And especially with friendships, some can, can have natural conclusion points. But I want to get your thoughts on this. Have you had friendships end or have you ever had to end a friendship? And what's your brain space around this? Yeah, it's so funny because I could like feel this shift inside of me because I'm not good at ending friendships in 
the sense that like, those are some of those tough conversations where I struggle and it's something I've worked on. And I think for me, like I've definitely had friendships end, and I think most of the time friendships just kind of fizzle and that gets easy. And I think I've had friendships end in my twenties that I did very ungracefully, which was like some version of what people now call like ghosting, which is just to say to like, not respond to respond really briefly and be like, sorry, busy can't mm-hmm. until someone picks up on it, which I, in hindsight, I'm like, God, that is cruel. And it was me thinking that having a direct conversation would be the more unkind option, which I know isn't true. It was just kind of a way to let myself off the hook. A current friendship sort of inspired this in me was that I looked up a mantra around boundaries. Oh, Yeah. And I sent that to myself and I've tried to recall it. And I think that that's the biggest thing with friendships is that when I consistently feel like my boundaries aren't understood or appreciated or respected, that for me is like typically the time when I feel like I need to actively end a friendship. And I haven't had one of those good conversations yet. So I'd be really curious what your thoughts or experience around that is. What's the mantra? Oh gosh, I'm going to have to look it up. But it was basically saying that like, I own and honor and acknowledge where my boundaries are. And Mm -hmm. I act in service of those. And so it becomes less like, I don't really like it's like, no, for me, it's about the integrity of like holding space for myself. I really am into respecting other people's boundaries. And so I find when I frame it sort of objectively like that, it takes some of the emotion out of it. And it lets me be kinder and more respectful to myself. And for me too, it's been about speaking up in the moment when my boundaries aren't being respected because sometimes people will change. Like they just don't realize it. They don't see it. They don't know. And other times people really still choose not to respect them. And so that is something that, man, I would love your advice or thoughts on. Oh, this is so interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is like, yeah, you have to protect yourself and your heart first, right? Like if somebody is not doing that, if they're not taking care of you and respecting you, that's not a friendship right? That's the trespass. And we have to take care of ourselves and set up those walls and those boundaries. And it's really tricky for me because it depends on the situations and the people. And I might have a really open heart and open door policy for 20 people. And then there's four people that they don't know how to handle it or care for my heart. You're not invited. You're not allowed in. And then the navigation of when it changes. I have two examples that I want to try to talk about. The first one is, this was a long time ago. I had a long distance friendship that was kind of budding and really loved this person. I still do. Intriguing, interesting, philosophical, smart. And she was in the middle of writing several books. So she never responded to emails. It took forever. We ended up setting up, I think, five or six different times to try to have a Skype conversation. And she bailed on three or four of them. I remember having this feeling of having those boundaries crossed and just being like, okay, once, twice I can understand. All right. This, nope. Something's wrong here. Like something isn't working. Yeah. And it made me really sad because I wanted to be friends with this person. And I realized that they were not in the place to be able to give of themselves. They just had other priorities, other deadlines. But I also knew that I really liked, respected, admired this person. And we'd had some really good one-on-one conversations. And so I sent her an email. And I remember my decision for why to do this. I sent her this message. And I think this is important. I'm going to try to deconstruct it well. But I said, hey, you have bailed on me four or five times. And it's really disruptive to my life and schedule. And I want to let you know that I what did I write? It was something like, I think you're better than that, or I want to hold you to a higher standard. But the way I closed the email was, I care about you enough, and I want to be friends with you enough that I'm sending this to you because you're that important to me. Because the thing is, is if I didn't actually respect her, like her, admire her, and want to be friends with her, if I was just like, oh, she's annoying, I wouldn't have taken the time to write that message. So I needed to be, yeah. Just result, the end. Exactly. I would have been like, you're out, like done, too many tries, never talking to you again. Like I would have written you off. And she was so gracious in her response because basically, and I think this is one of the roles of friendship, is you actually do hold each other to high standards and high integrity. Like you set the bar for each other and you live up to it. And when somebody's out of alignment, you say, hey, you know what? 
you haven't shown up a couple of times and that's not cool. And I'm telling you because I respect you. Right. So that one was super important to me. And we actually grew closer. We both agreed that we weren't going to try to stay in touch as much. It wasn't the right time. But also, I think our respect for each other elevated. And hers for mine, because I set the boundary, because I said, you cannot treat me like this. Like, you can't keep blowing me off. It's disrespectful. And I think more highly of you. Like, I expect better is basically what, what I was saying. What I think is so good about that, too. I mean, and clearly, you have a lot of respect for this person. And they sound intriguing and brilliant and all those things. I'm just thinking about some of these relationships that I have. And I think it's also giving someone the option. Like, I think there are times for you to say, like, this friendship is over and here's why. But I think there are also times to say, like, hey, I'm open to this friendship. It just needs to look more like this. Yes. If that works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, you get where I'm at. And because I think that lots of times for me is I get past the point without speaking up of really wanting to maintain the friendship. So I get to the place where I'm like, oh, I'm so done with you that I just don't want you around, period. And I missed the chance like 10 times ago to say like, hey, this is what I need. This is what I'm open to. Like, does that work for you? And I'm just thinking about this out loud. This is me too. I think sometimes you can also have like kind of a closing kindness too with someone like you've been trying for ages to get together and it's not working and schedules and blah, blah, blah. And you also know it's kind of winding down. There's a place if you run into each other or there's like another email thread where you can do it like lighter and say like, oh, our schedules never seem to align. At this point, I don't want to go through the headache of all of the scheduling back and forth because that just adds more stress to our lives. When it's the right time, we'll reconnect. And it just gives you that kind of exhale of like, you know what? We both seem to be forcing it right now and it'll be okay. Like, why don't we just get through kindergarten together? Like, why don't we just go do the thing we have to do and we'll come back? It can also be relieving or releasing to just be like, oh, well, this one needs more space and it's okay. It might actually be better for both of us. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot in that, <laughs> in all of those stages of friendship. It's hard. Ending friendships is so hard because I think it's like a breakup too. Yeah. Depending on where it is. I haven't had too many of those. I've had a few. They're not easy. Like I've had plenty of dating, you know, relationship breakups, but friend breakups can be hard too. I know one where it was really out of sync and I know that somebody really wanted to be close friends with me and I wasn't in a space to be able to support them. It was hard because like if I really looked deeper, it was the boundary issue that you were talking about. Like they just kept trespassing. I would share things in private and they would share them publicly. And I was like, whoa, that's, this is, no, that's not okay. I mentioned it. And then the next time I mentioned it and the third time I was like, uh, can you not like share that one? You know, that's not cool. And finally, I just kind of had an exhale where I was like, they're not getting it. And I don't want to teach them. I can't do this. And I had to really reel back in and mourn the loss of what I thought would be this really great friendship that wasn't working and talk to my husband and just say, what do I do about this? Like, how do I, how do I fix this? What do I do? And we ended up having one of those, how do you break up with someone conversations? I probably spent a week writing 87 different versions of an email, like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I really credit my husband here because he was like, no, that feels terrible to get. You know what you do when you break up with somebody? You do it and then you leave. You don't know. And he just kept editing my emails. He's like, this is how breakups work. And I'm so grateful I had him (laughs) because I didn't know what to do. And I ended up just sending a uh, short and sweet, like, I'm not able to be here. I know it's challenging when friendships drift apart, but I'm going in a new direction. And that was it. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's hard, right? Because it's interesting. The one friend was like, here's a lesson because I hold you to a high standard. And I think that those are like good and beautiful and graceful. And then there are other ones where it's like, Ooh, we are not a good fit. And like, this isn't a discussion or something to revisit later. Like this is it. And I think that's the one, that's the one that makes me all like butterfly and tingly and like feel bad. And then I also think about kind of like what your partner was saying and advice that maybe I would have given myself in the past is like, sometimes the kindest thing to do is to be the most direct, you know, just to like own that, to step into that and just say like, this isn't working. 
this isn't really open for conversation. I, you know, respect you enough to want to share this really directly. And like, I wish you well, I don't know. I'll be really curious if listeners have experience or lines or, you know, if they have been broken up with and have had a good experience, (laughs) friend breakup wise or what. I ended up talking to a couple of other girlfriends about how to handle this. And they Mm -hmm. said, honestly, like they've been ghosted on before and I've done it too many times. You're just like, I don't know how to handle this. Like that's the default. And they said it was kinder to send a note and kind of formalize the ending than leave someone wondering for a long time. It's all the feels, Carrie. It's squirmy and it's like, you get that adrenaline, you get the butterflies in your stomach. Like, I just, I was like, uh, you know, I'm a horrible person. I shouldn't do this. Who am I? I'm entitled. I'm privileged. Like, it just, everything, your brain, your ego goes crazy. But yeah, I think the same thing for people listening. This episode has been all about how do you make friends? What does it look like as an adult and how do you keep them? And are there systems and structures you use? And how do you know when someone's going to be a really good fit? And then that tricky question of how does a friendship end? So if you have thoughts on this, go over to the Startup Pregnant blog because we always host a blog post and a place to leave comments on the post if you want to chat more. Carrie, you're amazing. Thank you for joining me for this. You're the best, Sarah. I'm so glad we're adult friends. I feel very lucky about that. I know we were talking about breakups, but man, it's also nice sometimes to relish in the friendships that exist. There's such a (laughs) cornerstone as a part of your life as an adult. So thank you for being a friend. (laughs) Telling off air, really great jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you. 